slavery. A harsh, ugly word. Certainly paints, probably for the adults here, paints vivid mental scenes in the mind. It's been a reality for ages. And and a social injustice that will never go away until Christ returns. Even worse is the slavery that puts a soul in bondage to sin versus the freedom of being a slave bound to Christ as we looked at in our morning lesson. So this morning as we have moved away from Psalm 1, which is merely an introduction or simply an introduction to Philemon this morning, I want to set the stage for you. There's a knock at the villa gate and a servant comes and opens the door and is shocked, absolutely incredulous to see the person who is waiting to be admitted. Philemon's slave, Onesimus, stands with his a little scroll in hand asking to see the master, but he is alone. The gatekeeper knows what can and what probably will happen because the law is clear. What is not clear is why the slave has returned. Masters spend a lot of money looking for runaways and not just because he was the slave owner but because this particular slave has taken something of great value from Philemon and his family. Onesimus has broken trust and the full weight of the law supported the whatever punishment that Philemon decides to mete out. We know that he would have been gone a long time for a a trip walking apart from the time that he would have probably had to have remained hidden particularly during the day and the dangers that were found on the road. A trip from Colossae where Philemon lived to Rome probably would have been about a two-month journey each way, minimum. This would have been from what is now part of the country of Turkey, traveling all the way overland to Italy and then down into Rome. Surely Philemon's house would have, would have been stunned as the slave had been gone quite some time and the fact that he's at the front door is, by himself is amazing. You see, slaves did not return of their own free will. Rome had what were called slave minders, and if you were important enough, it would probably require a soldier or two, and they would be escorted back in chains. Yet, this slave would have been on his own, and he's actually coming as a messenger from the Apostle Paul. Presenting his scroll to Philemon, the slave Onesimus bows his head in deference to the master. And then standing straight, we can only assume, but Philemon probably would have noticed something different about him. Something that wasn't present before he ran away. Philemon can only assume assume that the answer to the slave's return is found in this little small scroll that he now holds in his hand. And as he starts to read it, he notes that it is from his close, beloved friend, the Apostle Paul. Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 17, that every letter that he wrote actually has bears his signature. In the Bible times, a letter was written, and you would know who it's from because it starts out with their name. Last week, we considered two paths from Psalm 1 that each person has to decide on. We're either going to be blessed and walk in the path of the godly, not in the way of the ungodly, Or we are going to be like the one who is not blessed, as we looked at the negative aspect of this, by walking, standing, and sitting in the seat of the scornful and the ungodly. So as we ponder these verses, Lord willing, over the next four Sundays or so, I want you to ask yourself a couple of questions. Number one, what would it have been like for the slave master, Philemon, to stand here looking at something that belongs to him? And then I want you to ask yourself, what would it be like to be Onesimus 
standing in front of your master knowing that even if the master chooses to put you to death for your own indiscretions, that the law will support him and you could be standing there in the last few moments of your life. But Philemon and Onesimus, will they be blessed in their walk with the Lord or will sin prevent fellowship from taking place in this little house church? You see, part of the culture, as part of the culture, there was no shame in being a slave owner. There are a lot of people who try to go to the book of Philemon to, to justify or to say that slavery is not supposed to be taking place and yet that's not what the Bible is saying here. This book has nothing to do with the eradication of slavery. It is about how the master treats the slave and how the slave responds in obedience to Christ, to the master. In fact, the Bible doesn't condemn slavery. We find slavery permissible even in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, a slave was allowed to serve for only a period of time and then they were to be released. So there were plans, that are, there, there were things put in place by God to be able to have a fair and equitable system for the removal of debt, for example. If there were any condemnation, this would have been the perfect letter to be able to do it. But not once does Paul address the dangers of slavery, but he does address the love of Jesus Christ. And you see, something far greater than slavery is actually being discussed in this, in this little one-chapter book, these 25 verses, and that is forgiveness. Forgiveness from the heart. So we find firstly, the letter is sent. Verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. This is one of four prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And of course, Colossians would have been written to this church where both Archippus as well as Athea and Philemon, of course, were probably part of that house church. Now, it's interesting that Paul does not indicate himself to be an apostle in any way in this particular book. And this probably indicates in, in studying and looking at Greek and Roman culture, it probably meant that this particular little tiny scroll was never meant for circulation. It was personal. But it speaks to what happens because not only did the recipients ultimately allow the letter to be read by others, but we find that it is part of Holy Scripture. So instead of calling himself an apostle, which he had every right to do, he calls himself a prisoner. This isn't an entirely accurate picture because what we get a picture of in our mind of a prisoner is not what... We see today many times where you get put in jail and you get three square meals a day and you can earn a law degree and you can do all these kind of things. No, it's... Anybody here remember chain gangs? Okay, some of you who are old would remember chain gangs. I can remember we had just moved back to the States. Um, I was probably six or seven years old and there was a group of them that were on the side of the road just after we arrived back in the States. And I remember asking my dad, what are they doing? Why are they wearing that orange, that orange thing that they're wearing? My dad had to tell me that it was because of their sin, because of a crime that they had committed. You see, in Roman times, Paul's word here that he uses, he is not just a prisoner, he describes himself as one who is permanently chained. In Rome's Mamertine prison, have we already showed that picture? There we go. This is actually a picture of the Mamertine prison in Rome. There were actually a couple of level, levels to this prison, and you can actually see there's a hole here in the floor, and if you go back to the previous one, you can just make it out up here at the top. Prisoners, and there's another one down here. Now this is, of course, just showing one particular corner of the Mamertine prison, but they would be wrapped with ropes or with some kind of cloth and they would be put in, depending on the level of the severity of the crime, 
Sometimes they would just be dropped into the hole and whatever broke, broke. They didn't, the Roman soldiers didn't care. But in Rome's Mamertine prison, if you were considered a political prisoner, one who had fallen out of favor with Nero, the soldiers were chained to each prisoner and personally responsible. Could you imagine sitting in this for your eight-hour shift as a soldier? If there was an escape, the soldier would actually be put to death, such as we read happening when Peter escapes from prison in Acts chapter 12. Yet more than what we see here in Paul being chained. And it's interesting that in the prison epistles, we find that there are many who were in Caesar's household who actually have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it's kind of hard. Paul's sitting there. I mean, what are they going to do? Put him in prison for telling the gospel story? And, and, and as the soldiers come in day after day and they're rotating in and they were actually probably on 12-hour shifts, and as they're sitting there, I can only imagine Paul saying, have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard how wonderful he is? Yeah, you told me this. Well, you haven't done anything about it yet. And yet what Paul is actually speaking of here is being chained to Christ. In other words, Paul had no problems with being chained in a Roman prison because the chains that bound him and that kept him there were not the chains of Rome. They were the chains of the love that he had for the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful testimony that this man here in this dank, dark prison this man who, in fact, we're told in 2 Timothy at one point that as, as he was in prison, he actually asked for a cloak and he asked for the parchments that he had so that he could actually do work. Could you imagine doing work in that kind of a prison? And yet he did. Some of the greatest doctrinal and, and applicatory truths that we find are written in these books, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Not only is it from Paul, but it's actually from Timothy. I think there's a great importance here because Timothy was actually from the same area as Philemon. And maybe there was some kind of a connection here with Paul being, or with Timothy being Paul's disciple, and so too Philemon was also his disciple. One of the things that I appreciate, we've talked, Brother Gabe and I have talked, and several of the men here, we have talked in regards to mentorship or discipleship within a local church. You see, it's easy for us to be a disciple. It's easy for us to be willing to be mentored if things are going well. But what if mentorship and what if being a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ involved being in prison for the sake of the testimony of Jesus Christ? Secondly, we come to the recipients in verse 1 at the end of verse 1 and verse 2. Of course, Philemon, Aphia, and Archippus, and the church in their house. History reveals that in Roman times, slaves were mostly owned by either the landowners or those who were rich. Slave owners were required to provide housing, food, and clothing, and to have a church in his meeting, actually meeting in his home. Now, we, sometimes we don't get the clear picture of what this might have looked like. You see, in all of Colossae, there was probably only one group of believers that were meeting and they would actually meet all together they would be crammed into this area probably into the courtyard to be able to have some kind of services maybe where they were partaking of the lord's table or they were listening to the word of god being proclaimed and then during the week they would actually spread out across the city colossi was a very big city just like rome was and so they would spread out across the city and they, they would seek to encourage one another to be able to help lift up and exhort one another every single day throughout the entire week. You see, an early New Testament Christian had no guarantee that they weren't going to be put in the Colosseum this next week. We sing the little hymn. Maybe you sung it, maybe you haven't. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? First century Christianity knew what it meant to be a follower of the Lamb, to be a servant of Jesus Christ, to be willing to say, for to me to live is die, but to... Or for me to live is gain, but to, to for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. 
What about Philemon? Well, the Bible doesn't record what happens to him, but tradition does give us a little bit of information. He was the first elder at the church in Colossae, and it is said that he and his wife and his son were stoned to death by Nero soldiers just for having a testimony of Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever read the book Fox's Book of Martyrs? Okay, a couple of you have. Those of you who have been here for any time will know that I like to recommend books that should be a part, not just a part of everybody's library as a Christian, but books that should be read. Fox's Book of Martyrs is one of those. And the book starts out, it was written by John Fox, who was a Quaker back in the 1500s. And he goes back and he writes the history of many of those who came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, beginning in Rome. And, and then he begins with the first martyr, Stephen. And the entire book is the story and the account. We talk about Hebrews 11 being the hall of faith, the Christian hall of faith. I would dare say that this book, Fox's Book of Martyrs, is actually the Christian testimony. It is the true heroes of the faith. The Bible tells us that of them the world is not worthy at the end of Hebrews. Dearly beloved, Philemon is writing or is receiving this letter from Paul, and Paul calls him dearly beloved. Your translation may say, dearly beloved brother. And Paul is telling him, we are Christians that are bound together by mutual love and respect. Do you think that Philemon and Paul, do you think they agreed on everything? No. But he considers him as dearly beloved. Why? Because the, the, the things that bound them together, the chains that kept Paul in Rome serving the Lord Jesus Christ are the same chains that keep Philemon and Colossae serving faithfully in his church. And that is the bonds of love and unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4. He also calls him a fellow laborer. This means one who labors with others in furthering the cause of Christ. The question that we ask you this morning is, what are you doing? What am I doing to be able to further the cause of Christ? Do you give out gospel tracts? Do you pray over your meal? Do, do people see you rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ in every aspect of your life or when things fall apart? In life, you fall apart. I know what it's like because we've been there in our lives. I know what it's like not to keep the Lord Jesus Christ first and foremost in every aspect of your life. I, I know how I was raised when my wife and I were first married, first few years of our marriage. Christianity was little more than going to church to be able to see how we could feel good about ourselves for the rest of the week and hope that it lasted until Sunday morning so that we could go back and get another dose again. And you know what the reality was? We needed to go so that we could be convicted by the Holy Spirit of God of the things that were not being changed in our lives. The things that were keeping us from, from being a godly father and being a godly mother and being a godly husband and a godly wife and a godly family. Aphia is mentioned second, and, and her name simply means fruitful. That she is included, I believe, shows Paul's esteem for her as a, as a faithful Christian wife. I, I was watching a video this last week of, of a church that is now closed down. This was a Baptist church I was sharing with somebody uh, uh, yesterday, I believe. Um, and, and this church, First Baptist Church, um, a, a church in California... And they had begun declining in their attendance greatly. This was a church that used to run seven, 800 people. And so they got down to the point where they were about 20 people and they decided that the answer was going to be, we are going to become an affirming LGBTQ church. Thinking that this is the way to be a testimony to the local community. That church is now permanently closed. Which is good because they're not a true church. But in this video, the, 
person, one of the people from the church says, we don't listen to the words of Paul. We only listen to the words of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ never said, fill in the blank. One of the things that Christianity did was it actually brought true worth because of our position in the Lord Jesus Christ so that everybody is equal at the foot of the cross. Archippus. This was Aphia and Philemon's son. We're not told, of course, whether he had any other children, but his name, interestingly, means master of the horse, and he is also called a fellow soldier. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, I have used this before and several of you have served in the military and we are thankful for your service. For those of you who have served or those who serve currently. But do you remember what it was like going to basic training? Anybody here ever been to Fort Jackson, South Carolina? Anybody? Nobody? Okay. I remember Fort Jackson, South Carolina very well. And I remember my dad dropping me off. My wife and I had been married a couple of years. And he dropped me off at the recruit station and we were waiting for the bus. I was waiting for the bus and he says, whatever you do, don't volunteer for anything. And then, of course, he had to go in, as dads do sometimes, to be able to embarrass their kids. And he said, can you make sure that the drill sergeant tucks my son in at night, sings him a lullaby? (laughs) Now, any of you who have ever been to basic training know that drill sergeants don't sing very nice lullabies if they sing at all. But can you imagine being called into the service of the king of kings and not being willing to be a good soldier? When Paul is speaking here and and he calls him a fellow soldier, he is recognizing not necessarily that Archippus was actually one who served in the Roman army, but that he was serving in the army of God. He's not to get entangled with the civilian pursuits or the things that are of the world. But his sole aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Tradition tells us that he actually became a leader in the Colossi church. And Colossians chapter 4 verse 17 says that he was quite possibly also a leader later on in the church at Laodicea. This was a man who knew what it meant and if tradition is true and he ended up giving his life for the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ through the means of stoning, what a testimony to have. We have the church in Philemon's house. The early New Testament church, church, as we spoke about, met in homes as a part of a whole. Buildings weren't available. It was often illegal to meet. If you were caught meeting, then Roman soldiers would take you, they would take you to prison and it would be the last time you would see your family. You see, it wasn't for a year or two years or three years. It was a life sentence and the life sentence ended with death. Paul addresses the church here and this shows an openness between the leaders and the congregation and and actually in greeting the congregation, Philemon would have had or might would probably have felt some kind of an obligation to be able to share parts of this letter with the congregation, which is probably why we have it today. He continues with the blessing, grace to you in verse 3, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. One commentary notes this, the standard greeting in all 13 of Paul's letters and it highlights salvation's means by grace. The results of that salvation, which is peace, and links the Father and the Son affirming the deity of Jesus Christ. Let's look at each of these briefly. Grace to you. 
This is, quote, the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon the soul, turns that soul to Christ, keeps, strengthens, and increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. It's all of God. He's the one that saves. He's the one that keeps. He's the one that preserves them. And he is the one who will one day return for all of his children. Peace to you. This is the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatever sort it might be. Is your soul at peace this morning? You see, we know that there is a peace that passes all understanding and it only comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and as this one particular person writes us down, fearing nothing from God, if you ever wonder whether the things that are coming into your life, before you start contributing them to the evil one and his minions, how about turn around and say, wait a minute, let me read the book of Job again. Let me see if what God has to say through his word is part of my lot in life because God only permits those things. Peace. There are many people who die every week, as we have said. 1.2 million people across the world die. In fact, there was, if you were watching the news, you will know that there was just, I think yesterday or the night before, there was a rare earthquake in the country of Morocco. Over 2,000 people gone out into eternity in just 10 seconds. What if it was us? Is your soul at peace? If your soul is at peace, then you will know that no matter whether you're in Philemon's shoes or whether you're in the shoes of Onesimus, you will be willing to do and to obey and to submit to whatever God has in store for you in your life. We find that God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, they are the givers of the heavenly blessings. Grace and peace are not available to any man or woman apart from God the Father and the Son. And any who would seek to take away from the deity of Christ cannot be saved. Because scripture makes it clear that nobody gets to the Father but through the Son. Maybe you've sung the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him all creatures here below. We'll have to sing that sometime. But just as with that doxology, Paul is actually giving praise to God, the Father. He's given praise to the Lord Jesus Christ from whom comes all blessings. Paul then gives a little bit of his testimony in verses 4 through 7. And for the sake of time, we're not going to be able to look at all of these this morning, but I do want us to look at a little bit of this. Number one, the testimony that Paul had begins with a heart of thanks. Verses four and five. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And he has a heart of thanks always. First Thessalonians chapter five Verse 16 and 18 says, Rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now this is not like the kind of thanks, like the illustration that I'm getting ready to give you. My wife loves lemon. My wife loves pepper. And my wife loves chicken. And you put them all together and you end up with lemon pepper chicken. I came home from work one day and my wife had made pepper lemon chicken. And it was strong. And I managed to eat a little bit of it. And this is what I said to her. After all these years, I still remember. My wife does too. I said, thank you for making the meal, but it'll be perfectly all right with me if you never make this one again. 
and she actually hasn't. But is that the way we come to God? Lord, you know, the trials and the struggles and, and the temptations and all these things that, that I've gone through and I'm going through in my life. Uh, Lord, I, I don't want to try to impose on you, but we end up being like Abraham. Well, Lord, if, if, you know, don't, don't get upset, but let's just reduce that number by 10 and then by 10 again and then by 5 and then by 10 again. And God knows all along what he's going to do and he knows what he's going to do in your life as well. And the question is, are we putting restrictions on God? Yes, Lord, I like that, but I don't like that part of it, so don't do that again. You see, on, a, on another note, my wife has told me down through the years, we have struggled in different areas and different ways, just like every one of you have. And we would go through a trial again, and, and instead of remembering, wait a minute, we went through this trial before, I would resort to kicking the side of the car. Why I'd resort to getting upset at work or whatever it may be that was going on in our lives. And my wife would always tell me the same thing. Have you ever thought... I hate when conversations start that way. <laughs> Have you ever thought that the reason we're going through this again is because you didn't learn the lesson the first time? And you know what? That's exactly the problem. Sometimes we don't learn the lesson the first time. But as Paul is continuing his admonition by giving thanks here, his slaves standing before him, Philemon is actually receiving a gentle reminder of the reality of his testimony. You see, the, the spiritual well-being of Philemon, his house, and this body of believers is always on Paul's heart and mind. And what he is saying is, if we are to give thanks in all things, that means that you should be giving thanks for this situation that you did not see coming. And Onesimus showing up today. Not only is it a heart of thanks that we are to have always, but he says, you are always in my prayers. Listen to Philippians 1.4. Always in every prayer of you or of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. You remember Philemon or Philippians? Philippians is one of the only books that we do not have any kind of judgment or any kind of condemnation against the church itself. It is considered to be the book of joy. You know the best way to appreciate, show appreciation for another believer? Pray for them. It takes knowledge of others to do this. But many, many don't even know enough about other believers to accurately pray apart from broad generalizations. I, I've used this example before, but Brother Corey is a truck driver. But if I don't know anything about Brother Corey's life, and I, I go up to him and I say, how you doing, Brother Corey? Oh, I'm doing fine. And yet, I see that something is troubling him. And if I'm not willing to learn something about Corey, I'm going to completely overlook the fact that I have a responsibility to him as a brother in Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So I've got one of two choices. I can either ignore him or I can follow Scripture. And for me to love him, for me to appreciate him, for me to pray for him, I need to be able to take time to get to know him. Down through the years, and several of you, I'm sure, have had the same thing. Would you pray for me? And before you've even walked three steps down the road, you've completely forgotten about what you were supposed to pray about. Not only is Philemon in Paul's thoughts continually, but being prayed for on a regular basis, it is humbling to know that others are taking time to remember you enough that they will pray for you. I'm reminded of the account of the missionary who went overseas serving in deep jungles of Africa. And loud were the cries of people who said, we will remember you, we will love you, we will help minister to you, we will hold the ropes. And as this missionary went to serve overseas, he buried his wife, buried his two children due to tropical illnesses. Broken in body and spirit, he returned to the States and 
walked into a prayer meeting at the church. People were praying for all kinds of things. But they weren't praying for their missionaries. And at the end of the service, this man stood at the back and he said, Now I know why we had such struggles because you promised to pray for me and you never did. Paul is in prison, broken in body. Read 2 Corinthians and read all of the things that Paul went through and yet he is still in prison loving and praying for people. He's not concerned about his chains. He's not concerned about sitting there in the slop and the muck and the stench that would have taken place in that prison. And he continues and he says, not only this, but because of your love for all the saints. Philemon would have known exactly what he's talking about. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love, agape love. Love that is Christ-like, love that can only come from the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's thanks here, I believe, moves past the superficialness that plagues so many churches. Agape love only comes because of Christ, and only with it can we learn to follow the second commandment given by Christ to love our neighbor as ourselves. What kind of a love do we have? Do we only love people when we get our way? Do we only love people when God gives us our way? Sometimes the best thing that God can do is to be able to say no to us. Sometimes he wants us to wait a while and and sometimes he wants the Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts so that our will will be changed to the will of the Master. And then in so doing, he will allow us to receive the blessings. Your love for all the saints, not just one or two, but for all of them. Paul probably had a pretty good indication or he probably had a pretty good knowledge of who was actually in the church. If you want to ever, ever want to know about all the friends that Paul has, there's a small list of them found in Romans chapter 16. But it's not just because of the love that, not just that Philemon, or that Paul has towards Philemon, but that Philemon has towards Paul and to the saints that are in his church. Why? Because of his faith, verse 5, because of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ and for all the saints. And the word faith here means persuasion, moral conviction of God's truth and reliance upon Christ for salvation. Here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Is truth subjective? Nope. God's truth never changes. And if God's truth never changes, that means that Philemon's love for the saints had to be a direct outworking of his faith in Christ. And for those who are in Christ, we will have love for other believers. This is why we're called to submit to one another. We reflect Christ. You know, when when we look at the world at large, some of you here love sports. Now, I really don't care one way or the other. I don't even follow all the scores on a weekly basis. But any of you ever been to a football game or a baseball game or a basketball game? Come on, I'm sure sure you have, all right? In a basketball stadium or a football stadium, there are normally... For the majority, there are two different sides, aren't there? This side is rooting for Team A. This side is rooting for Team B. But they're all shouting. They're all hollering. They're all having a good time. Because what they're doing is they're putting aside the things that separate them to be able to enjoy for a time the things that unite them. This is what we are called to do. We are called to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we're called to be in submission to one another. With some of you, the only thing that you and I are ever going to have in common is the fact that we both love the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to have the same job. We're not going to have the same likes. We're not going to like the same teams. Not going to watch the same things on TV. May not even read the same version. 
You may have a particular style of song or hymns that you like and I like something different. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to take us to be with him, our focus and your focus will not be Mark Escalera, it will be Jesus Christ. Let's look finally at a heart of prayer in verse 6. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Having directed his attention to his past testimony as far as Paul telling Philemon where he's come from and and what he expects from Philemon because he's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul is now about to take the rubber to the road. And we find here, firstly, the effectiveness of a shared faith. In other words, Philemon, you're known for practicing what you say you believe. Your slave now stands before you and and this is a reminder of trust that you have built toward others. And regardless of not knowing Philemon, I believe that we can speak to the vulnerabilities of the soul of man. You see, it is far easier to speak and to have a faith that is effective when things are going fine versus when they're not. What happens when it's personal? This is a personal situation. This this entire series, forgiveness from the heart. Not forgiveness because somebody told me that I have to ask for forgiveness, but forgiveness knowing what Christ has forgiven you and I for. So what happens if, if an offense like Philemon is sitting here and he's watching Onesimus stand before him and he's reading this, but it is personal, he's cost Philemon a great deal of money. What happens when we are offended either deliberately or unintentionally? Does your faith, does my faith take a blow or does it shine more? Does it reflect the level of forgiveness extended to us by Christ? You know the real reason, and, and, and a, a few of you have talked with me in regards to forgiveness in the start of the, this series from Psalm 1. Do you know why most churches struggle in some area or another? It's because they haven't learned what it means to have biblical forgiveness. Do you know why sometimes you and your spouse may struggle in your marriage, in your life? Because you and I struggle to forgive one another as Christ forgave us. Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another. Tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Listen, the standard that I have to hold myself to is not whether my wife did X, Y, or Z. The standard is God's holiness his perfection, his love. And if I'm not fulfilling that, then I am failing in my marriage. I am failing to be a godly father. I am failing to be a godly husband. I think what we need to do is we need to have a a good dose of understanding and humility that comes from God and says, wait a minute, have I offended somebody? Then let let me ask Christ for the strength to be able to make that right. Moms and dads, you struggle with your children? You know, one of the greatest things that you can do to show them the Lord Jesus Christ is to seek forgiveness from them for being a poor example of Jesus Christ. can't tell you the number of times down through the years where people have come, couples have come and they say, well, it's her fault, it's his fault and and she did this and he did that and they didn't do the other and I tell them all the same thing. I'm not here to listen to those problems. I know what the problem is. The problem is that Jesus Christ is not first in your life. That's the reason why we have problems. 
Paul isn't just spouting basic principles for life here. The the word effective means powerful. It means that sharing implies a life that is lived with other believers. Philemon is just coming together with fellow believers for one to two hours a week. Their lives were intrinsically tied together. Somebody here was, some, some of you, any of you knit, ladies or men, either one, knit, crochet? Okay, a few of you do. Everybody here may not be able to do that, but I'm sure you all know what happens if you get a loose thread and you start pulling it. What happens? It unravels, right? And the little tiny thread becomes a little tiny hole, becomes a little bit bigger hole, and eventually you can put your fist through it. Now, I don't get the the modern age, the modern generation. When I was growing up, if we had holes in our jeans, it was embarrassing. And we we would sit in school and I would pick at the knees of my trousers and before long I'd go home and my mom would say, you were messing with your jeans, weren't you? And I'd say, nope, nope. Yes, you were. The hole is bigger. And now people pay good money to look like that. Every one of you, and myself included, every one of us, if we are loving the Lord Jesus Christ the way that we should, our lives should start twining together to such a point that we can't live without one another. It's not just the effectiveness of a shared faith, but in full knowledge. And with this knowledge, we understand what Paul is saying. Philemon, your life is a powerful beacon of hope and direction to those who are in your house, in the church, and in the community at large. Your faith has proven strong and you, excuse me, you evidence Christ. And now with Onesimus before you, you will be able to send forth a powerful message of what it means to be forgiven. There would have been no doubt in Philemon's mind where he's going with this letter. Each word would have struck deep in a Philemon's heart as I hope and pray that it does with you and I today. And how he responds in these next few verses is going to tell a great deal about his faith and whether his faith has truly found a resting place in Christ or in himself. Here's our conclusion this morning. Fathers, Philemon stands as a wonderful example. He stands as an example on how we should conduct ourselves. Not just in the affairs of our own life, but in the affairs of our home, in the affairs of our church. Submission is not an easy word to apply. But it must be done. Philemon's letter is a beautiful picture of what it means to forgive one another regardless of the wrong that has been done to you or to me. Fathers, there's nothing that your children can do, or mothers, there's nothing that your children can ever do that will make them not your children anymore. And if we belong to Christ, we belong to God. He is our Father and no man can pluck us from His hands. And if we are going to be godly husbands and fathers and wives and mothers, our faith must be in Christ alone for you can't accomplish it on your own. When this is the testimony of your life and of mine, we will be able to learn to love others as Christ loved the church and gave himself for his bride. The bottom line is this. If God, and if you have tuned me out or you missed everything else in the message, please hear this one last statement. If God, 
because of and through Jesus Christ can forgive what you and I have done, how much should we be willing to forgive what others have done to us? I remember a preacher once saying years ago when speaking of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I remember him asking this question. I wrote it down in my Bible. How much is too much for someone or something you love? If our hearts are full of the Savior and his love for us, then our hearts will and must reflect that love to others or we do not have forgiveness from the heart. Let's pray. Lord, in our Western world, in our culture here in America, we are taught from very early age, through school, through college, through the workplace, that we are to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But the Bible says that we're to think soberly. We're to think righteously. We're to act and live righteously. And part of that means being willing to forgive. And as we will look at in the rest of the series, what exactly does forgiveness look like? What should we say? How do we handle it, whether we are the offender or the offended? And ultimately, we have to do it your way. Lord, I am thankful for this beautiful little book, for the life of Philemon, one who we will one day be able to see in glory, to be able to see his wife, Aphia, and their son, Archippus, just one of a long trail of people of whom the world is not worthy. And Lord, should persecution come one day to our shores here in America, I pray that should somebody be able to write our letter, should the Holy Spirit come and were he to write our letter, I pray that people would see Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. Thank you for the time this morning. May we each be encouraged in your word. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said. I appreciate your patience this morning. We do have just one more item, and that is in regards to the vote for the elders.